Good morning. This is the first time I've ever been able to say that <laughs> here at the barn and for, for most of us. Huh? Good morning. There is nothing like gathering on a Sunday morning. And I, um, Pastor Paul uh, told us part of the reason why you weren't having Sunday morning services so it wouldn't be in competition with any other churches and ministries and all of that. But, but it's on now. But it's on now. <laughs> And I've always believed that there is something about uh, meeting together on the first day of the week. It's as if though you're saying to God here at the start of the week, the top priority of my life is to meet with you and to be with your people. So that, you know, um, before I start thinking about work and bills and responsibilities, we're just going to get to gather together at the start of the week to meet with you, meet with your people, and let you speak to us. Because I don't know what the upcoming week holds. We don't know what's going to happen this week. We don't know the future, but I know the one who, who holds the future. Now, come on, bless him today. Thank you, Lord. We're going to do something a little bit different. My wife is going, my wife and I, we're going to teach together today and we're going to sit down. This is how we usually are in urban life. We just, we just sit and rest and talk and share. Uh, I love that level of intimacy because uh, that's how the early church was. They met house to house and it was just sitting and talking and conversation. And, uh, and I felt the, uh, just the release of the Lord for us to do it that way today, for it to be a little bit more intimate, uh, for us to hear from him. Because this is monumental, what Pastor Paul just said. This meeting on Sundays, and this is the first of those Sundays, and it happens to be May the 1st. <laughs> it started, it's supposed to be, uh, well, of course, wasn't expecting 45 degrees in May. <laughs> and rainy and all of that, but uh, there's something significant about this day, and we're honored that uh, God has us here to share with you uh, as you're making this step of moving to Sundays, and there's something to this. There's much more to this than just moving to Sundays. In fact, as you were just sharing, I saw by the Spirit, I saw a lighthouse. Hmm. Because uh, there are a lot of people they don't know the Lord, but in their minds, in their traditions, even though, they may, even though they've walked away from God and all of that, they still think of Sunday as meeting day. And this place is going to be a lighthouse. And in spite of all of the buildings and assemblies that there are in this region, this is going to be a lighthouse and God's going to draw them here. And I'm, I'm just want to just release that to you today and just say, Lord, have your way in us. Have your way. We did this as a step of obedience, as an act of faith. And Lord, I thank you for filling this house uh, with those who are right now lost at sea. <laughs> they're lost at sea and they can't find your way. But Lord, they still think of Sunday as the day to go to church. And so, Lord, I thank you that in the simplicity of the worship, in the simplicity of the word, in the simplicity of family and fellowship of this house, that they would be drawn by the light. Yes, Lord, that is shining forth out of this place. Thank you, Lord God, for drawing them. In fact, some of you are going to find relatives and friends who are going to be more open to you 
to coming to church with you. You're gonna be you're gonna be shocked. They're gonna like, you're gonna be like, wait a minute, we've been meeting forever. <laughs> Why are you suddenly drawn? And it's because all of this is part of God's strategy. All of the chaos we see going on in the world, don't let it stir you, don't let it sway you. God is setting something up, y'all. He's setting something up. Yeah, and just when the enemy thought he had your family and he had your friends and he had your neighbors and he had your coworkers and he had your classmates, no, it's been a setup all along and this is a strategic timing of the Lord. It's not just a Sunday morning service. God said it's a rescue. This is a rescue service. There shall be many. They're going to be literally rescued out of the grip of Satan. Thank you, Lord God. Come on, bless the Lord right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let us make this transition and switch. While we do that, take a moment and, and greet one another. Turn to somebody and say, I love you. Glad to see you today. <laughs> I thank the Lord for the opportunity to have met your pastors and to have met such wonderful, awesome people here in this region. We've been here in July. It'll be 12 years that we've been living in South Central Pennsylvania. I'm born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, St. Louis, each and every year, is usually one of the top five most dangerous cities in America, according to the FBI. And um, we didn't live in the suburbs. My wife and I, my family, we lived in the city. <laughs> so. Um, and we were called there. We're part of a wonderful church family in that area. I just feel that of the Lord just to share a little bit about that. Uh, we, we started, my older brother is, was, is our senior pastor, and we came together as a family um, to obey God. I, I grew up in a household where all I've ever known is the things of God. Um, I gave my heart to the Lord as a four-year-old child. Uh, it was the summer of, I hate to say that, 1964. <laughs> in the inner city, St. Louis. Uh, grew up in church, all, always seeing that. And uh, my parents attended uh, a Baptist church, but had kind of a Pentecostal flair. Does that... Does that <laughs> a Baptist pastor who believed in the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And, um, but I would see people rejoicing and, and praising God at church. And so my mother was ironing clothes one morning. And so I asked her, I said, Mom, do you have to shout? Anybody know what that mean by that? Pentecostal. <laughs> do you have to shout to be saved? And she said, oh, no, baby, you don't shout to be saved. She said, shouting is what saved people do but you don't shout to get saved. Well, mama, how do you get saved? She said, you just ask Jesus to come into your heart. Amen. And so I'll never forget as a four-year-old boy, inner city St. Louis, just a ghetto kid, getting down on my knees at the sofa and my mom leading me Amen. to invite Jesus into my heart. God is something else. <laughs> And all of our family uh, got saved as children. 
all my brothers and sisters. We all got saved as children. Um, we were blessed to have a very special ministry. Some of you are familiar with child evangelism. My mother was part of that. And uh, we would do the five-day clubs in our neighborhood. <laughs> no matter what neighborhood the Green family lived in, we were going to do five-day clubs and invite all the kids from the neighborhood to come and hear the stories about Jesus and all of this. So we grew up very evangelistic as a family. My mom and dad took us to um, hear the missionaries. Uh, we had a very diverse background. Even though we grew up, I call it Bapticostal. My mother and father would take us to other churches and other ministries so that her children, their children could be exposed to more than just one denomination and one set of thinking. And so they would drive us to the, another part of town. Uh, and it was very strange for us because it was predominantly white. So here's this black family. We would go into these predominantly white churches because my mom and dad wanted us to hear the stories of the missionaries. And so here we are. You're talking about children who most of us got saved at home. And uh, we attended church faithfully because, you know, you don't always want to as a kid, but, you know, you're going to church. <laughs> but then they would do extra things like take us to hear the stories of the missionaries, and they would talk about going into Asia and Africa and India and different parts of the world and taking their whole family and, and dedicating their lives completely over to God. Sometimes they'd come back and the stories would be that maybe they had lost a child or lost a spouse, but there was never any bitterness in their testimonies. They would still just stand and talk and just share. It was almost matter of fact. Like they would say, yeah, my wife passed away while we were in India and they just keep right on talking like that's a side note. And so of course the rest of us are going, oh hey, wait, oh, what happened? <laughs> but they would just keep right on talking like it was matter of fact and nothing, no price was too great. Not, nothing was too much uh, in order to serve God and to see lost souls come into the kingdom. I'm sure that there was great pain in, in their testimonies. I'm sure there was tremendous disappointment in the background, things not going the way they thought it should have gone or the way they planned for it to go. But they would stand and just tell and talk about uh, loving God, staying committed to him no matter what, and always being in that place of, I just love him and I want to serve him. And so growing up with that type of uh, background where it's all about Jesus, I didn't realize it at the time. I didn't realize it at the time that a lot of believers don't have that as part of their background. Many come into the faith um, because of the enticements of the blessings of God. And some of you know what I mean. You give your heart to the Lord because God's going to bless you. Give your heart to the Lord and one day you might get to be rich and famous. You might get to obtain riches and all those kinds of things in this life. Even sometimes people have been told, give your heart to the Lord because as the world is getting worse and worse, you, Jesus is going to come and take you out of here before things get so bad that you can't take it anymore. And I know that those are denominational teachings and various doctrinal teachings, but 
but I, I understand now why Jesus turned to his disciples one time and just said, who do men say that I am? And after they gave their answers, then he said, who do you say? And why is that important? Because I believe that's important that we understand who Jesus is because that understanding is going to be how we live. If we understand him to be more of a Santa Claus, <laughs> he's just here to give me gifts and presents. If we think of Jesus as being like, sometimes I say, a vending machine, I put in some money, I punch the number of what candy I want, what snack I want, and then we get what we want. Many people have been inadvertently taught that God is nothing more than a vending machine. They, they're told if you send in this money to my ministry, <laughs> then God's going to bless you. So that's a vending machine. If you pay the money and pick out your blessing and then push, <laughs> out comes your blessing and I paid for it. And then when we live in real life, everyday life, we find out that's not what that's not that's not how God is. Man is manipulative like that. That's not God, and He doesn't want us to view Him that way. That's not the way it is. And so I guess I'm sharing all of this with you because um, this is such a precious place. I shared this with your pastors and with your leaders. This house is an incredibly precious place in the midst of an extremely chaotic time and season in America. This is a rare and precious place. There aren't many places that you can really consider to be an oasis in the midst of a barren and dry place. And this is an oasis. Um, people can come and find water here. They can find food here. They can find fellowship here. And um, we're living in a time when we're watching many people walk away from God um, for many reasons. They're walking away from the church. Um, some of them have made that discovery that God is not a vending machine. And so when they made that discovery, they left the church. Some have discovered that God is not Santa Claus. <laughs> uh, at least the way people have presented Santa Claus. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. Oh, you better watch out. So many people think of God as being just, you better watch out. And that's not a loving father. He's not. And so many people live in fear of God. He's not waiting to pounce on you, to jump on you, uh, and to punish you. He's really not. I remember growing up with such teachings as, you know, out of John 15, that really talks about, you know, Jesus being the vine, we're the branches. And he said, but every branch that's not fruitful, it actually says in the Greek language, it says he lifts them up. And so the word, the Greek word that they chose, that, I mean, that Jesus used in that, in that uh, uh, exhortation, uh, it actually had four different meanings. 
and only the fourth and last meaning said cut off. So I've never understood why the translators would only use the fourth meaning of the Greek word. Well, any, any branch that's not bearing fruit, it, it says it cuts off, but actually it says the Greek word is he lifts up. And you say, well, what, how does that make sense? And well, here's, here's how that works, and you guys know better than me, you're farmers. Uh, when you're, uh, the grape vines and the olive vines in Palestine at that time, the vine dressers were constantly shifting the vines on the trellis. They were constantly moving them around because if a vine was not producing, they knew they needed to shift it. So that's why the Greek word was lifts up. Any branch that's not bearing fruit, he lifts it up, repositions it. Isn't that amazing to find out that that's what that word actually means? And they would give vines, I looked it up, they said they would give those vines two and three years before they'd finally have to cut, do any, but it wasn't an instantaneous, you're not bearing any fruit, cut it off. No, that's not how God is. And I've discovered in our time, we've discovered there are many reasons why sometimes people aren't bearing fruit. It's not always rebellion. Sometimes people aren't bearing fruit because they're just not in a place where they're being taught. They're not in a church where they're being taught the word. So they're not bearing fruit. So what does God do? He repositions them. What does that mean? Now I'll give practical application. He will take them out of that church and reposition them and place them in a place, in a church, in a ministry where they can bear fruit. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Sometimes we're not bearing fruit on a job, so God will allow them to fire us or release us. Why? To put us in another job or position where we can bear fruit. Isn't that awesome when you see what certain words in the scriptures actually mean? So it's not instantly, you're not bearing fruit, you're cut off. No, it's you're not bearing fruit, I'm going to reposition you. And sometimes you're not going to like the position that I put you in. Because as we all know, plants get used to growing in a certain direction, a certain bend. So if you have to straighten it up or put it in a different position, I don't like that. I don't want to. I like the position I was in. I was growing that way. It's comfortable. And so God will reposition us and place us in a different spot on the trellis where it may not be comfortable, but you're going to start bearing fruit. Isn't that awesome? All of that was just a side note. <laughs> well, not really. It's attached to this. I believe that that's part of what's happening with the barn right now. There's a repositioning. God said, shift the vine to Sunday mornings. And it may be uncomfortable for some for a while, but guess what? You're going to start seeing some fruit born out of this shift, out of this repositioning. There's going to be some folks, as the Lord just gave me that word as I spoke earlier, there are going to be some people that normally they would not come out on Sunday morning. It's uncomfortable. I'd rather sleep in. <laughs> but the shift, the positioning, the repositioning is necessary 
for them to bear fruit. Something isn't happening at home. Something isn't happening in the marriage relationship. Something isn't happening with between parents and children. Something isn't bearing fruit. And so God says, time for a shift. You're used, to, you're used to your routine. Don't you love it when God messes up our routines? You're used to your routine. And God says, no, no, no. All right, all right. Time to change the routine. And it's going to, you're going to see fruit born out of it. Um, and so um, Carol and I have been experiencing through these 12 years as leaders in Harrisburg, we've been experiencing some of those things where people, uh, we're walking away from the church because of disappointment, because of unfruitfulness. Uh, and one of the unique things that we always talked about when we first moved here, um, we saw God move miraculously in the lives of people. But this strange thing kept happening, and that is God would give them a miracle and then they would never come back. And so we were kind of like, hmm. That's kind of strange. Our very first Sunday service that we ever held, God gave us a word for a man and his children that come visiting our church that day and that God was going to turn around their situation and it would be done before the week was out. Later, we found out that the man was homeless. Him and his children were homeless. And before the week was out, just like the word of the Lord came, God blessed them with housing for him and his family. And so, but we never ever saw him again. I was like, wow. Now, why is that strange to us? Because in St. Louis, where we're from, every time people would get something miraculous like that to happen, they would come back. If nothing more than just to get some more of that. <laughs> Let's get some more of those miracles. Let's see, see that happen again. But people wouldn't come back. And that was very strange that they wouldn't come back. It was sort of like, I call it the nine leper syndrome. <laughs> Jesus healed 10, only one came back. And so we kept experiencing that. And I know, I realize now, sometimes the reason why that would happen is because people would be afraid. Uh, they're afraid of the encounter with God. You ever had God do something that was just so awesome? It's just like you see in the word of God where people would just go, ooh, like, like Peter would do. You know, he, the miraculous catch of, of fish and Peter just like, oh, Lord, stay away. You know, sometimes people are like that. You have these moments where the encounter with God is they're overwhelmed by his presence. Other times we've watched people come. They've, uh, God's done great things in their life. And because they get offended by not by me and Carol, but by another a member of the church. They have a falling out with someone else. We have nothing to do with it. That was always been strange to me. It has nothing to do with me and Carol, but they would leave. I'm like, what is that? What's going on? And more and more across, not just Harrisburg, but across the nation, people are walking away from their faith families. They're walking away from it. They're allowing offense or, they're allow, or they don't like the shift. They don't like the changes. And so they walk away. Some just because of the way that they've grown up. They may have grown up in where their parents were never married or their parents split up. And so life has been so chaotic that they 
uh, they don't even think in terms of sticking with any one thing or any one group of people. I remember back in the 90s when we were going through ministry training, one of the things that, that uh, church leaders at that time were, were forecasting. They said in the 21st century, one of the things that the church is going to have to deal with is um, a have-it-your-way mentality in society. And what does that mean? That means that when people, they say, when people come to your church, they're not going to think in terms of permanence. They're going to think in terms of uh, just like when they go to the restaurant. If I go, I place my order, I get what I want, and I walk out. I go to Walmart, I make my purchase, I walk out. I go to Target, I make the purchase, and I walk out. And people will think of church the same way. There are certain things that I can find only at Target that I can't find at Kmart. So they'll only go to the church that's offering what they're looking for. And then after they get it, then they're going to leave until they need something else. And they aren't going to think in terms of going back to the church where they got the last great blessing. They're going to look for the place that now has what I need today. And so I began, Carol and I began to realize uh, um, that many people don't see the benefits of having and sticking with a faith family. They really don't. And that's because they haven't experienced it in everyday life. In their own families, they haven't experienced the benefits of being part of a faith family. And so we wanted to just to share with you guys today uh, and really as a word of encouragement um, some of the benefits of being part of a faith family and uh, encourage, you, encourage you in what you are already doing and what God is building here. In fact, one of the top of the list, I don't know if we'll get through all of them. We, we got about 10 of them, so that's okay. We won't be here till 4 o'clock going through the 10 benefits. He said, Pastor Chris, you'll be here by yourself. <laughs> well, Gary will still be recording, right? <laughs> um, but one of the, at the top of the list, and you can write these down if you want to, and give you uh, the benefits of being part of a faith family. At the top of the list is, is uh, community. Top, top of the list, first benefit of being part of a faith family is that you have community. I'll let my wife just read this definition for you. Community is defined as a unified body of individuals, as a state commonwealth, uh, the people with common interests living in a particular area, broadly the area itself an interacting population of various kinds of individuals in a common location, a group of people with a common characteristic or interests living together within a larger society, uh, such as a community of retired persons. Community is a group linked by a common policy. A body of persons or nations having a common history or common social, economic, and political interest, 
as in the international community. It's also a body of persons of common and especially professional interests scattered through a larger society, such as the academic community. All those definitions. <laughs> the reason why this is so important is because uh, I think that it is the most amazing thing when we come here each time we come and we see such diversity it is i don't know if you um, maybe because it happens so often you guys don't see what we see but when we come and we see black and white and latino and all different kinds of speakers and people do you understand how amazing that is in america today with all of the division and strife between ethnicities this is um this is astounding that we are experiencing what God actually was in his heart. Yes. When you look in Revelation and he says, right. saw a number that couldn't even number, and they were from every nation and tribe yes. and tongue. Yes. The, the, one of the benefits of a faith family is that you get to experience the community that God promised we actually get to experience it. There are people that you didn't grow up like I did, and uh, you may not speak the same language as me, and our cultures may be different, but when we come together, there's such a commonality with God. Yeah. In Acts 17, Paul said this. He said, God made from one blood every nation do you understand that we are blood brothers and sisters are, yes. Amen. <laughs> that no, just because our pigmentation is different our skin color is different and our cultural there may be cultural differences and ethnic differences we may not like all the same styles of music and food but guess what we're all from one blood yeah. come on Amen. praise God And the benefit of being part of a faith family is that we get to experience it in reality. While a lot of people just kind of fake it, and I can say that after being uh, involved in some of the politics and the uh, government where there's posters and billboards and they show pictures of black and white and Asian all together, but in reality, it's not like that. It was just a commercial. It was a billboard. It was a magazine cover just to get us to pay for something. It's really not that way. But every time we come together, we can say, you know, it really is that way. I'm so glad that we don't have to call our relationship we don't refer to each other as, as that's our token black and that's our token whites and that's our token Asians. No, that's my brother, my blood brother. <laughs> I know the world would find that really crazy if they see me hug Pastor Paul and say, this is my blood brother. But where am I getting that from? Acts 17, he made from one blood. 
every nation. I remember, I was trying to remember, there was something that I wrote in a devotional one time, uh, my private devotional. I was praying and asking the Lord uh, uh, about our family and our history and ancestors and all of that. And so the Lord just kind of gave me this thought. And I kind of, and it's like this, uh, he said, uh, come here. I was like, God giving me this picture of me telling, of him telling me, come up here, sit up here with me at the throne. So I go up and I sat beside him. I love how God uses your imagination. You know? So it's like in my imagination, I sat beside him. But then he picked me up and put me on his lap. Oh, I feel God. It touches me every time I think about that. He puts me on his lap. And he's so huge that I'm not like I'm not a grown man anymore. It's like a little kid with my legs dangling off. You know what I mean? And he says, now look back at your family line. Now I'm thinking, as I look back over my family line, I'm gonna be looking up, looking back over history here in America. And I think I'm gonna be looking back at slavery and I think I'm gonna be going back into Africa and seeing tribes and, and you know, kings and all of them. And instead, the view goes all the way back to the cross. And God spoke to me and said, that's the beginning of your family line. Amen. It's yes. the cross. Yes. And that's why we can sit here right now and say, you're my brother. You're my sister. Because all of us, our family line goes back to the cross. Come on, bless the Lord. Acts, the second chapter, you're very familiar with this. We read this, dear. Acts, the second chapter, verses 40 through 47. You can follow along, or you can just write down this scripture. Acts 2, verses 40 through 47. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Wow. We come from a, a multi-ethnic community back in St. Louis. And, uh, and there was nothing like watching people come together for a common cause. The common cause, the emphasis was always on evangelism and discipleship. And that's because... You know, our parents, as I told you earlier, raised us uh, thinking in terms of being missionaries. And so when, we, when, when my brother was sent out and started a church in St. Louis back in 1987, when we all came together, it was always about winning souls and discipling souls. And so we found that it was an amazing thing to watch people come together from so many different backgrounds and ethnicities and, and upbringings how we could all rally around 
winning, winning people to the Lord and discipling them and really walking that out. And I see that here. That's why I bring that up. It's amazing to watch a people rally around the things of God. Not only that, just the sharing of uh, life experiences, it, it enriches you to, it expands you, it adds to yes. you just to get to know another person's life, what they've been through, um, to share their culture, to share um, what they have experienced. It adds to you, it broadens you, it, it expands you. It, you get to know another a way another person cooks. You get to learn different recipes. <laughs> and just to listen to the way another person thinks, it um, it adds to you. It expands you. It broadens your world. It takes the limits off of what you have experienced and just in your life. It adds to you. I remember uh, there's one dear sister um, uh, her name is Christy, uh, very, very dear sister. She's white, red hair, but we knew her so well and was just so comfortable friends for a long time and sisters. And I remember one time it dawned upon me and I said it to, her, I said, it just dawned upon me that you're white. I just never even thought about it. <laughs> Anybody ever felt like that about somebody that, that wasn't your same ethnicity? You go, wait a minute. It just dawned upon me. But I never saw that. That wasn't, you were just my sister. Um, and I remember sharing, story, swapping stories with her. She said, my dad um, had a problem with black people. She said, but here's the reason why. Never would have known this. I'm sharing this because this goes along with what my wife just talked about, about how it expands you. She said, because he lost his job. When affirmative action kicked in, he lost his job. And so for the first time, I was challenged because it had never occurred to me that there are white people who have lost jobs simply because they were white. So it was bigger than just opportunities for African-Americans and Latinos, laws were put into place that caused regular, everyday people of no fault of their own to lose their jobs. And suddenly, my mind was expanded to understand, wait a minute, everybody that has a problem with black people, it's not just because you're black. It's because decisions were made that impacted their life. <sighs> so then I had to expand. Like, okay, this is way more than just what I thought. Isn't that amazing? All of that out of community. Now, I want to say this to you. All of that conversation took place in the safety of a faith family. I don't know if we could have had that same conversation in the world and had understanding and love and peace and it didn't turn into a fight. <laughs> Why am I bringing this up? I'm talking about the benefits 
of a faith family. At the top of the list, community. We'll really get to understand one another. Others, others' journeys, others' stories, which brings about more peace and understanding between us. I love this because there are many people, they just want to stay in their world. I don't want to understand somebody else's side. I just want to hold on to my view. The word sometimes is used as prejudice, which is prejudgment. So since I have prejudged you, I don't want anybody to change my judgment. But in a faith family, how many of you have found out your judgment is going to be challenged? And it's necessary because Jesus said, by this, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. By your love for one another. Come on, bless the Lord in here. Thank you, Lord. We may not get any further than this one, but here's the second one. Communion. Maybe in the weeks to come, we'll continue with this and talking about the benefits of a faith family. I'll let my wife take this one on. Communion. Communion is the Greek word koinonia. Um, in, in Webster's Dictionary, uh, it says beneficial distribution of fellowship. The Greek word means actually means fellowship. And I looked up fellowship um, in Webster's Dictionary. And it means partnership and communication, intimate fellowship or rapport, Re relationships marked by harmony, accord, and a feeling of closeness and understanding that someone has for another person because of their similar qualities, uh, similar ideas or interests. Um, uh, in my Bible, there's a, a section called Word Wealth. And under that, um, for that word koinonia, it says sharing, unity, close association, partnership, participation, a society, a communion, a fellowship, contributory help, the brotherhood. Koinonia is a unity brought about by the Holy Spirit. In koinonia, the individual shares in common an intimate bond of fellowship with the rest of the Christian society. Koinonia cements the believers to the Lord Jesus and to each other. This is something we've, I, I believe most people long for, at, at least in the body of Christ. We long for fellowship. Um, um, in fact, I, it was something, that, it was one of the things that drew me, not only to my husband, but to his family. It was totally different than anything that I had ever experienced. Um, um, my family was broken. I did not. So to see a family that actually loved each other, they talked to each other. Um, they enjoyed being in each other's company. Um, they shared their interests. Um, they shared their ideas. And there was still love. There was still peace. There was still <laughs> fellowship. Um, I, and I believe everybody longs for 
a sense of family, a, a place where you can express yourself, you can express your ideas, you can express your feelings without fear of being put down or, or being seen as weird, you know, or strange. You, you want to be in a place where you feel accepted for you, you know. And that's what koinonia is. Yeah. Another aspect of communion is, um, um, as we all know, Jesus left these instructions for us to partake of the Lord's table. And we refer to that as communion. Um, I want you to make a note of 1 Corinthians 11, verses 28 and 29. Because in that verse, the Apostle Paul gives some very important instructions to uh, the church about what to do each time we're about to partake of communion when we come to the Lord's table. And there's a reason why I'm bringing this up. Um, he says, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the body. Wow. And so I don't know what, what has been a part of your traditions uh, uh, out of your background, but I remember in mine, they were always telling us, now before you partake of the cup, examine yourself. <laughs> you don't want to do this in an unworthy manner. And uh, I won't get into all of the teaching and everything on that, but I want to bring up a particular point, and that is uh, um, he was really trying to get the church to understand that when we partaking of the cup, what we're saying is that we're all united. We're all one. And so you don't want to pretend that things are okay with you if you know you really aren't. Because you're going to bring whatever is that, that hang up, that mess up, that fear, that, uh, animosity, whatever it is, that division, you're bringing that to the body. So make sure before you do this that you have examined yourself. Be very serious about this. He was saying right from the beginning, let's not pretend that everything's okay if it really isn't okay. Otherwise, you're going to drink judgment onto yourself because you're coming in and saying, everything's cool, so I'm going to partake of the bread and of the cup because I'm united with you. <laughs> it's the same reason why Jesus said if you uh, come and want to offer, give an offering of worship, and he said, and you remember, you remember that there's an art there. Leave your gift. Go back and get it straight. Get that straight first. Then come back and make your offering to God. It's the same concept here. Don't pretend everything is okay if it isn't. So what is this getting at? One of the benefits of being part of a faith family is that it keeps you and I in a position to keep examining ourselves. Not judging everybody else. Notice this didn't say make sure everybody else is okay. And some of you grew up in denominations or wrong among people where it was always about them making sure you're okay. 
and you're being checked out from head to toe. <laughs> Every, I mean, literally from head to toe. Women had to have the heads covered and making sure you don't have this and you don't have and, and, and where it is and where it at and how you act and what you say and where you and all. And so it was always about what's going on with everybody else. But in a true faith family, your concern is not about everybody else. It's, I'm going to examine myself. I don't want to be, <laughs> I love using the example, remember when the children of Israel had to go and fight the battle at Ai after, Jer after Jericho, the next battle was Ai, and there was a guy named Achan who had stolen some stuff in Jericho, which caused loss of 36 lives in a battle that they should have won, the next battle. They should have won it easily, but 36 lives were lost because of one person. And so again, we're looking at a principle. I don't want to be the AI in the group. I mean, the Aiken in the group. Same concept. I don't want to be the Aiken in the group. So it's got nothing to do with making sure everybody else is living holy and living saved and doing what you're supposed to do. No, discern the body. We're called for a very specific purpose here in the earth. And every time we come together, Lord, I'm examining myself. You don't think, some of you may not think of this as a benefit, but it really is because it's not about anybody pointing the finger at anybody else. <clears throat> Being a part of a faith family keeps me in a position where I can examine myself. It's a matter of integrity. Integrity means it's the same way it appears on the outside. That's how it is on the inside. It's not two-faced. That's the word that's sometimes used. It's not being in a fight with husband and wife all the way to church, and then we walk in the door and we smile. <laughs> and then as soon as we walk away, then we go and resume the argument that we were having on the way to church. <laughs> That's why you live close. <laughs> or it means you have to get it straight real fast before you get in here. <laughs> get it straight real quick. <laughs> but it's an actual benefit. It's an actual benefit. Uh, the benefit is that you're placing your, you're keeping yourself in a place of accountability and self-examination. Uh, it looks like you was about to say something. No, I was just continuing with your thought. Um, See how I caught that? <laughs> it's a place where you don't have to worry about people pointing a finger at you because they're taking, they're busy about making checking their own hearts. Yeah, so you don't have to worry about having their finger pointed. And the last one for today, I want to, we want to share with you the benefit of being part of a faith family is that it's a place of camaraderie. I love that word. It's spelled C-A-M, <laughs> that's a long word, C-A-M-A-R-A-D-E-R-I-E. I'll spell it again, C-A-M-A-R-A-D-E-R-I-E, camaraderie. I'll let you go ahead and define that one. Okay. 
Camaraderie is a spirit of good friendship and loyalty among members of a group. You might not like your job, but still enjoy the camaraderie of the people you work with. A high level of camaraderie among the athletes on and off the field not only makes it fun to play sports, but is likely to make your team win. That's right. <laughs> camaraderie. Um, as defined by Webster's Dictionary, is a spirit of friendly, good fellowship and friendship among the people in a group. Um, and again, we'd like to point to Acts, the second chapter, uh, 41 through 47. It's a great example of camaraderie among believers. You see a great sense of this when you read the uh, greetings in Paul's letters. There's a lot of history that he's got with people. They've been through some things together. Uh, when we first came here to this church, we saw it in you guys. All the inside jokes. <laughs> the, looks. the looks across the room that only you know what that means. Pastor starts to tell a joke, and y'all just, some of you just go, oh, here he goes again. <laughs> I was, I've watched Mom Ape enough times now that when she just starts to smile, she goes, okay, he's doing it again. <laughs> See, that's camaraderie. There's a, you have history, and the history is because you've been through some things good and bad and there is nothing like coming all the way through together yeah. trials yeah. it builds something in you that's there forever when you come through hey, yeah go ahead and praise god <laughs> uh and it's something that's missing in the world so they don't know the benefit this benefit of being part of a faith family because so many people give up when it gets tough they really don't. We see it a lot in this younger generation where they get involved with someone uh, in a relationship. And so they're, they're, as long things are going great, then, you know, the first two or three years of the marriage, or even if they don't get married, a lot of them, they just live together. And so things are going great and all of that. But then someone loses a job. Or they have a car accident or a medical issue comes up. And it's tough now. The income's not sure. Don't know how we're going to pay the bills. The stress of everyday life. And they want things to get back to where it was when we were just young and hanging out and you know, everything was cool. And so they can't, they don't have that, let's press through that fortitude, that intestinal fortitude to hang in there no matter what, that I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. Um, yes, we had a fight. Yes, we have a disagreement. I'm sorry. Well, you know, apologies. Let's work this out together. Let's keep going for it. They don't have that. And so a faith family is where many of them are going to learn this. Look, listen to us just couple of Paul's greetings and you're here. Just listen to the camaraderie that when you hear his greetings. Romans 16, 3. You don't have to write them down, but just say, greet Priscilla and Aquila, 
my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Amen. Just that little phrase, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Uh, likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet Mary who labored much for us. Can you hear it, guys? Um, I can't pronounce these guys' names. Andronicus and Junia. Thank you. My countrymen and my fellow prisoners. I want you to do that sometime. Just read through the book of Romans and go through Corinthians and Philippians and look at Paul's greetings and look at the history, the camaraderie in those greetings. This one, verse 80 says, greet as Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, this is verse 9, our fellow worker in Christ. And, and Stachys, my beloved. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa. See, I let her say the words. Who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Here's verse 13 of Romans 16, 13. And I'll tell you a little bit of history on this one. He says, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Paul's calling somebody else. He calls his mom. That's my mom. Greet Rufus and his mom. Because she's my mom. Can you hear all the camaraderie in that? Now, I'll tell you a little bit of the history. Rufus uh, is one of the sons of Simon of Cyrene. Simon, the guy who helped Jesus carry the cross, Rufus is his son. So his mother would be Simon's wife. Here's Apostle Paul saying, that black man, his wife, that, that African woman, that's my mom. Greet my mom. I want you to understand, see, this is, this is a powerful thing when we talk about God bringing us all together. He said, that African woman, that's my mom. Tell mom I say hi. <laughs> Can you hear the history? Can't you hear the, see the camaraderie? Thank you, Lord God. In 1 Corinthians 16, 19, it says, the churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. In Philippians, Paul and Timothy, it says, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. Listen to all of that. In, in um, Colossians, he says, Tyche is a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord will tell you all the news about me. In Colossians 4.10, there's a brother, he says, my fellow prisoner greets you. Oh, man. In Colossians, he says, Ephesus, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, greets you. And he says this about this brother, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all of the will of God. He wasn't even talking about himself. So when Paul was writing all these letters, Look at all of the friendships and family and camaraderie that came out of battles and suffering and working together. 
the faith family, God has given us the unique ability that in spite of the trials and the hardships and the labor to come out of it talking like this. And it has been our privilege, I want to say this in closing today, it has been our privilege to be a part of this faith family because that's what we see. We were talking about you guys the other night. Uh -oh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Carol and I said, we said, they're, they're tough. They got grit. <laughs> They've got intestinal fortitude. That's what we were, we were just talking about you guys. I said, they're quiet and kind of unassuming, but then when you get below the surface, They've got fight. They do not give up. You do not give up. This ministry and what we have seen in you is like, it's like a, a river that even if you try to build a dam to stop it, okay, it'll build all up and then what is it? it'll start going over it, around it, through it, whatever has to be done. And I'm telling you, God, set you up for a very special time in this nation. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity just to share this with your people, some of the benefits of being part of a faith family. Thank you, Lord God, for what we have observed here, the community, the communion, the camaraderie. Lord, I thank you for a special impartation of strength and grace and favor in this, dare I say it, new season, where there indeed shall be more that will come in and through these doors to walk into this sense of community, who will come into this koinonia, this communion, and who will become part of the story that builds, continues to build camaraderie. Would you guys just hold your hands out to the Lord right now in this moment? Thank you, Lord. As if though he were giving you a special gift, because that's really what it is. Lord, I thank you for imparting into each and every one what is necessary in their heart and in their home for them to walk out your will and your purpose and your plan first of all, in their own sphere of influence, amongst their own family and friends and neighbors, and then collectively, Lord, as a faith community positioned strategically on this land, <laughs> this land that you have set them up on. Thy kingdom come, your will be done. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 Come on, bless the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bless you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. Well, good morning. Good morning. <laughs>